Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and you guys... This is a podcast that we had special requests for for months now. I'm being joined by Marjorie Good, and we are going to talk about Celium Terriers. And this is part of the series that we've been doing with the group winners of each of the groups at the AKC National Championship show. But it happens to be some of the most iconic dog people we have in our sport. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over two billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trupanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trupanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trupanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome, Marjorie. Thank you. I'm very glad to have you here. And thank you to Marjorie's enablers. (laughs) So the 411, give us a little bit of background about yourself. You've been at this a very, very long time. How did you get started? I started with my first time in the ring in 1964 Mm. with a German shepherd dog that was a household pet that I entered into obedience. And actually, my folks were very reluctant to let me show dogs. I was 12. They thought it was kind of a waste of time. But I was pretty passionate about it. And I actually had that German shepherd trained to utility work before I took her into her first dog show. So she finished her CD, CDX, UD quite quickly. Wow. And I think this is really interesting, and I want to dive into this a little bit more later. You are one of so many of our longtime and iconic dog breeders who started in obedience. And I just think that that's so important for us to talk about. We talk about confirmation, we talk about dog breeders, and we forget about what are maybe some of the gateway sports, obedience, now rally, some of these other things. Talk about how it was for you to enter in obedience and something that was different than the confirmation ring. Well, I think to really get at the heart of the question you asked was that I entered obedience, but then I spent my day at the dog show stalking the handlers. (laughs) 
but were showing their confirmation dogs and trying to learn as much as I possibly could without getting in their way. The Peter Green, the Bob and Jane Forsyth, the people who were the real trainer, the people that were at the very top of their careers in those days. And I would spend as many hours as I could just watching and trying to learn. And I love your term stalking. I use it all the time when I talk to people about how, no, seriously, how to learn to show a dog. I have, over the course of my time as a professional handler, I stalked more people than you can imagine. And so I would watch Taffy McFadden, for example, just one, and I'd watch her place a foot and the way she placed it. Why did she do that? Right. And so what are some of the things that come to mind when you think about watching some of those great people that stayed with you? Well, I watched a lot in their grooming at their setups Mm. and how they handled each dog on the tables and putting them on and off the tables and how they brushed them and what direction they used and what tools they picked up to. There was a lot Except for the Forsyth, the handlers were only showing like six, seven dogs at a show, and they'd do some trimming at the shows. So I'd watch how they'd tweak the trim before they'd take them in the ring. And then with like the Afghan hounds and the poodles, I watched, you know, how did they brush the hair? How did they pick up the hair they weren't brushing so that they could get from the skin to the tip of the hair and picked up a lot? of learning from observing how they prepared the dogs. And then I'd go and watch them actually showing the dogs. So I actually spent more time behind the scenes than by the rings. Awesome. And stands you in good stead. Celium Terrier's not the easiest breed to trim. (laughs) Very true. I tried once, I failed. I gave up. I'm like, no, no, peace out. I have been trying for years to make their coats less daunting to people in general. And what do you mean by that? Do you mean by breeding or do you mean by helping people learn how to trim? How do you mean that? Very much both. Mm. But I do try very hard to breed dogs with coats that normal groomers and average dog owners, if they apply themselves, they can work and have a very successful finish to them. I also spend a lot of time helping people at shows or at my place or wherever I am to help them tidy up their trims or show them a a new technique that they haven't tried or encourage them to keep going (laughs) until they get it right. And not start crying Uh, like I did. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I also now... That we have things like cell phones. I say, take pictures, send me pictures. I will critique your trim. And it's it very has useful. Very it useful. Has really work. People that live you know, 12, 15 hours away, mm-hmm. if they will send me pictures, I will. And it works. It does. I've trained people how to trim Spinoni. It's a very particular trim that you put on the dog to make mm-hmm. it not look like it's trimmed, right? right? And so right. I understand entirely what you're talking about. Talk about your breeding program, because I think that, at least for me, is a big piece of it. What are the 
tools and techniques that you're using to consistently produce quality in a really low number, not easy to find homes for breed. I was very fortunate to start with the very last puppy that Olive Surgeon ever bred. And she was heavily into the St. Margaret celiums that came over from England. And they, for decades, were some of the very, very best celiums. And luckily, some were sent over to America. And that's one of hers is what I fell in love with, Swanshaven Masquerade, that was both his parents were St. Margaret Celiums. And I didn't want a small dog. I didn't want a white dog. (laughs) And yet here we are. (laughs) And yet here we are. He just stole my heart. And what is your favorite of the Celium characteristics? They're so generous. And all you need to do is ask. And they will say, what can I do for you? They're very strong, sturdy, compact little dogs. Well, they are a big dog. Yes. They're just wrapped in a small package. And the big dog part... They're minds. Their minds are definitely big dogs. Yes, yes. (laughs) They have very strong personalities. Their character is very deep, as opposed to some of the other terrier breeds whose characters are rather shallow, which some people like, right? It's not for me. I like the depth of the character that I see in a celium. And so luckily I got this very last one and I met some of the really good breeders of the day and they really helped me. And Patsy Wood of Penland Celiums, when I was first going out on my own as an individual person, In life, I work for Pool Forge Kennels a couple days a week, Mrs. Weimer. And I learned a great deal from what she had. And she had a very, very nice stud dog that, when combined with the female that I'd gotten, really started me on the right path. And with the help of Patsy Wood, she had a very good eye and very good celiums, too. I was able to breed forward and not have a lot of faults that I had to breed away from. I had very good virtues to start with. And that in a breeding program, you need to concentrate virtues and minimize faults when you breed. So you need to be able to see what a stud dog can give in virtues and what faults you might get and not double on what you have in your female that see what her strengths are and not double on the faults that they have. So generation after generation, you do that. And to get to the point of stash, he's a culmination of 50 years of my breeding, and I froze semen back in 1981 of a dog that was really largely Patsy Woods breeding, 
Hobbit Hills Up in Adam, who was my first Aubrey Best in Show dog. And later I imported a dog from England, a very prominent kennel, Torset. And his name was Torset Touch Class. Badger is what we called him. And I bought him. And I froze semen of his. And Stash's mother is by Torset Touch Class. And his mother's mother is by Hobbit Hills Up in Adam. Okay. So I pulled in the old frozen semen and then bred to a grandson of Sherman who has extreme virtues. I'm going to admit I fangirl a little bit over Sherman. One of my favorite show dogs of all time. I told you this when we got started. I remember watching that dog thinking, oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> he was my best buddy. And I absolutely worshiped the ground he walked on. He lived with me for over 14 years and never disappointed me once. When I asked, him to show, he said, I'll give you 110% every time. He, I claim, is the winningest show dog in the history of dog shows. Mm. Best in show at the World Dog Show, best in show at Crufts, best in show at the AKC Invitational, best in show at Montgomery, Group 1 at Westminster. But there is no other dog who has won all those other things. Plus, he had almost 100 Aubrey Best in Shows in this country. And for a ceiling, with that's just, just little me. Uh, well, and for a ceiling, right? I mean, not... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you just never heard anyone say anything negative about that dog. He was popular around the world, I mean, almost universally, as, yes, this dog deserves everything he's getting. What I remember about him is watching him move. Like, he just carried himself so beautifully. From your perspective, what virtues did you admire the most, and have you seen come down from him? I think the presence in the ring and carrying the frame. Mm. And it's so important. And there's so many dogs. If you look at rapid fire photographs Mm. of a dog moving, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, a lot of the photographs are really ugly. They're terrible. The top line looks horrible. The legs are in terrible position. And you find one that's just right. Out of a hundred. That dog, you could take rapid fire all the way around the ring and every single picture his frame was perfect his top line was perfect his tail his foot timing and reach and drive if you had a photographer that got the right start point Mm -hmm. you would get all these wide open strides with him and i mean he just always gave me so much and it didn't matter whether it was hot and sunny, wet and rainy, muddy, cold, windy. He just did it. And he did it because I asked him to. 
which is the most amazing part. It is. And that's what's so amazing about feelings. And he's been able to pass that on. Right. That was my next question. So remind me, I think I've got this right. Stash is his grandson. Great-grandson. Great-grandson. Yeah. Unfortunately, Stash's father said, "Mm, I'm gorgeous and I'm horny, but I just really don't care about this dog show thing. Just show me some girls. Take me for a walk. But Stash? Mm-hmm. Came through. Came through, yes. thankfully. And Stash, I mean, today, just now in the ring, was just a delight at the end of my leash. We I'm can't like, ask for anything more than that. See, I have goosebumps because that yeah. is the ultimate, right? Yeah. yeah. And as breeders, I think too often breeders lose track of what actually comes through what we want to come through, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I really wanted that beautiful front assembly. No, that's not what I got. But what does come through is that presence, mm-hmm. the showmanship, the possession of self. Yes, which is so important in a show dog. Well, and it is a breed characteristic of the Celio. I mean, yes. talk the about... the power. Exactly. They were badger dogs. These dogs yeah. had to stand up. Right. But they have the humor because they were more bred to lure the badger to the surface so the men could kill the badger than the Scottish terriers who were just sent down to kill the badger. Well, now that is a fascinating piece of history I did not know. And that is why they're silly hams. <laughs> silly hams, not silly Scottish right? terriers. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is absolutely yeah. fascinating. but i do think it's so important hang tight guys got a little bit of information for you we'll be right back to the podcast in a minute all right crew i hear from folks pretty much daily asking for a specific topic or for a series of podcasts on a topic so ask and you shall receive (laughs) i've done all the hard work I've sorted, searched, and compiled eight different albums from the archives on our most popular topics. And when I say there's a podcast for that, I ain't just a woofin'. Getting yours today is super simple. Just jump on puredogtalk.com backslash store and click the PDT albums image. And when you're in there, you're going to find a collection of veterinary voices. You're going to find a collection for breeding and whelping hands-on. You'll find Pure Dog Talk University on dog breeding. Love the breeds. Up your game. Owner handlers, the interviews, events and sports. There is so much there. And once you're in those links, you'll be able to read the details of the topic. For a special introductory price of a buck ninety-nine, you get a link to dozens, up to more than a hundred episodes on these specific topics. And while you're there, if you or a friend or family member are just getting started, even just starting a search for your first well-bred purebred dog, you can also check out Auntie Laura's Beginner's Guide to Show Dogs at puredogtalk.com backslash book to get the foundational 
Pure Dog Talk episodes with bonus tracks. So hop on it, y'all. These special prices will not last. Talk to me also about, because I think this is a piece that gets lost in translation a lot, the difference between yourself, a master breeder, and someone who's just getting started. Selection in your puppies. You mean if you have a litter, how Mm -hmm. do you pick Mm -hmm. which one to go on with? Mm -hmm. I like to look at them first when they're wet, right out of the sack and they're still wet, Mm -hmm. because you really see the bone structure then. And they haven't had a chance to fatten up on their mother's milk yet and lose some of the vision of their structure. Then I really like to look at them at eight weeks. And I'm good at sitting down. I sit down and I prop them on my knees. And I wiggle my knees a little bit in case they're unsteady. And then they pretty much stabilize. And I look for balance first. The helium standard is an excellent standard. Ground to withers equals withers to tail set. Next two-thirds, heads three-quarters. You have those proportions at eight weeks. You're going to have a miniature of the adult. Some things can change a little bit, maybe, but by and large, you pretty much know what you're going to get. So I go quite quickly then for shoulder layback and feeling for a big forechest protruding well in front of the elbows. Then I look for an equal amount of rear end behind the tail and very critical about a tail set being very high right off the top of the top line because that's a fault that I find particularly unattractive in celiums. And it's something that you do see, and it is a problem. And the short upper arm is another problem. And so I really look for the balance in the upper arm to scapula and the balance in the front end to the back end. It's only after I look at all that that I look at their heads and I do say that I do look closely at their coats because as I get older, I'm less interested in working with a difficult Sealy coat. For people who are unfamiliar with Sealy's, please go into this a little bit more. The undercoat and the softness, and it can be a challenge. Well, the biggest thing is how easily the hair releases from the follicle. Mm-hmm. So the wirier the coat they have and the straighter the wiry coat they have, the more likely the follicle will release the hair. You get a denser, wavier-looking coat, and the follicle is going to hang on to that hair a lot harder, which, especially in the first stripping as a puppy, the hair will break before it pulls from the follicle, which is the same thing as if you took a scissor and cut it off. Right. And then you've lost your texture, and then it's worse. Right. So then you have to pluck that same hair again, but it's harder because it broke. So 
anesthesia in particular, I think it's very critical to be very patient with puppy coat and be very careful to pluck as many hairs as possible from the jacket and the head and stuff rather than risk taking shortcuts and breaking those hairs and setting yourself back a whole nother growth of coat. And you groom all breeds, right? Professionally, you're a groomer. Yeah. Do you find this to be exclusive to celiums? I think it's more an issue with celiums because of that stretch break rather than plucking. Generally, a Scottish Terrier or a Westie puppy. Or a wire fox or or an Airedale. Those hairs are going to come out with the same amount of plucking force. And you're more able to use tools the first time around. Now, once you get the good next coat in on a Sealy, you can then go to using a stripping knife or a stone or something because the tensile strength of the hair is going to be much better. So you're saying that you're pulling those baby puppies barehanded? That's the best way. And if not barehanded, then with a stone. Or a, uh, a little rubber grippy. The finger cuts, yeah. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Yeah. And it's well worth taking the time to do it. Interesting. And then proceeding, because then your coat's mm-hmm. going to come in very nice. And the other thing is to take advantage of things like a comb with fairly fine teeth with maybe a rubber band laced in and out of the hair, the tines of the comb, which will grip the hairs and drag that comb through the coat, which will drag out undercoat that's excessive and get it down to a volume that you can more easily work with. Break through it. Do you, I mean, the way I was taught, not in sealies, but in wire coats, you rake with like a coarse bladed stripping knife or something like that, just as a rake piece. Yes. Yes. And that's to drag out undercoat. It's not, generally going to pull out wire coat. That's the whole thing, right? (laughs) Right. And a lot of times you need to manage how much density of wire coat and how much density of undercoat you have in any given place on the dog's body. And then you have to manage the length of those hairs by plucking them and either waiting for new ones to come in or thinning it so that it looks less bulky. Right. My very first person who ever taught me anything about grooming dogs was an Irish wolfhound person. And she told me one of the things that stayed with me for life. You're carving a dog. Mm. You're literally carving the breed standard. And so mm. talking to you and talking about this, I'm like, yes, yes, and it's longer here and it's shorter there. And we're doing this on purpose. <laughs> it's a life sculpture. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. And Absolutely. it's artistic and it's constantly growing. But like, for instance, Stash, I don't rake undercoat on him. Mm-hmm. I just manage the length at this point. Well, you've been working him. Yeah. So here's your question. How many times a week are you pulling coat on him? Mostly once. Mm-hmm. Sometimes twice. Mm-hmm. Probably can't get through the fifth show without <laughs> doing <laughs> some more. Right. But that would be minimal. So it's usually once a week, Mm -hmm. um, a couple hours. Right. So I think it's really important. A lot of the folks that are listening today are owner handlers. Mm -hmm. They're not 
all of them professional handlers, they're mostly owner handlers, just getting started, just trying to learn, trying to get better. Mm -hmm. So you are someone you said earlier, little old me. Now, I don't think little old me is exactly right, but I'm saying you've done this yourself the whole time and talk to people about some of those habits, some of those things that have kept you in line, that have kept you competitive against Peter Green and Ernesto and Tracy's RS now and all of these people over this course of time? Well, for one thing, if you want to keep a coat going over time, you don't ever want to cheat, meaning picking up thinning shears, scissors. You want to make sure that you're pulling out hair so that you have new hair coming in so that in the next few weeks, you will have that new hair to work with. If you cut the hair, you're not pulling out anything and you're not going to have the replacement. So the next few weeks, you're at a loss. So it's important to do the homework every week and to do it right. And the other thing is that people who are owners should realize that if they're going to spend an hour driving to a groomer or somebody else thinking that they're going to do the work and an hour back home and, you know, an hour or two, four, five hours there, why not just put up a table in your own home with the TV on, relax, and just start doing it. Hand stripping is not hard. It's not rocket science. It's physically hard work. It's but... not really. I mean, you just have to do it. It's not going to happen by... No, there's no osmosis that makes... <laughs> and also, you know, keeping the dog trim means the brushing is less of a problem. Because you've got less hair to brush, so you're going to save time there. Just do it. That hour that you'd be driving someplace, just get it done and put some march music on. March music, I and like then that. you can strip to the rhythm. Don't slow strip. Just boom, 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 and you'll get better and faster. And in no time, you'll see a wonderful change. I love that. March music. Very good. Yeah. It's great. Or disco or something right. that's your favorite that has your playlist. A, a beat. Right. And stick to it. Boom, boom, boom. Yep. Excellent. Once a week, people do your homework. Yep. I like it. And it'll be remarkable, the results. And your dog will get so much better by your doing it with mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And you'll learn by doing it. And you'll get better. Yes. And when you go to show the dog, it'll be so much more satisfying because you did it. Right. Well, and the time they spend on the table, the work that you guys do together, that's all part of the bonding. Exactly. I mean, exactly. I, I showed an awful lot of wire-coated breeds, and that's exactly what it is. That's your time. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Okay. So any final tips for people that are getting ready, they've set their goals, they're going to do this. What does Marjorie say? What do you need to do? It's a dog show. Don't get discouraged by what other people's goals might be or other people might say to you. Just be strong and enjoy that you have your dog and 
it's yours, you get to take it home. And then figure out what you need to do to do things even better than what you do. Strive to be the big ones. And ask for help when you need it. Yep. Because people will help. You'll help. So many people will. People who act like they're actually going to do something with that help a lot quicker than they'll help people who aren't sincere. That is so important. And I think that bears repeating because it's true across the board. If you are serious, serious people will help you. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate your time. I have been chasing this interview, but I always get what I want. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your time. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. Thank you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.